Welcome to Global Market Views, a podcast where BMO portfolio managers explain the trends shaping your investment universe. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Looking back, 2020 was not only a challenging year for the world, but a confusing time for investors. We saw sustained hardships in many areas of economic activity, yet equity markets rallied with conviction from the depths of March. The confusion whipsawed many investors, but today's speaker and his team of over 30 professionals mostly got it right. These ETF portfolios sailed through 2020, preserving four- and five-star Morningstar ratings. His team also publishes monthly content to keep you informed and engaged, and he is currently the director of the Multi-Asset Solutions team at BMO Global Asset Management. Say hello to Fred Demers. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change at any time without notice. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Fred Demers. Uh, I'm an investment strategist with the multi-asset team uh, here at BMO GAM. Uh, Welcome to today's call. Uh, Unfortunately, Leon cannot join us. Uh, I will be talking uh, about what we expect for 2021. A quick recap also about important things that happened in 2020. Uh, that, that have been a, you know major driving forces of, of markets and what we expect for the year to come a little bit beyond as well. So the summary of the key views here is really it's really about the uh, the you know the policy support that's pretty pretty strong. Uh, obviously, uh, central banks have been playing a key role, but what we saw this year was uh, policy on the fiscal side uh, coming into the rescue. Uh, in, in, in a size, sizable fashion that uh, we haven't seen outside of, uh, of war times. Uh, and I think this is important to keep in mind is uh, uh, as much as the Fed and ECB and uh, Bank of Canada stepping into the markets this year, uh, the next leg of the recovery will largely depend on, on fiscal policy. And certainly that's something quite interesting uh, with respect to what's happening in Canada. Um, and uh, obviously the vaccine, it's uh, going to be a game changer to this year. Uh, it, it's, it's the rollout is, is now. I think this is the major surprise. Uh, and it's probably going to have a bigger impact uh, on the second part of the year. Um, and also the other, I think, important trend that uh, is important to, to, to think carefully when you think about uh, positioning and, uh, and uh, you know, thinking about how attractive equities look uh, is the, uh, what's going on with the, the tech sector. Um, and so... Uh, the tech separation, the transition from the old economy to the new economy, I think is an important uh, aspect of, uh, of investing uh, in the past decade, but as well in the next decade. So, so the first thing, obviously, is the vaccine this year that's going to, to play out. Uh, this, is, uh, this, is, this was a moonshot. I think it surprised uh, most of us that we, we saw a vaccine within nine months. The rollout started in Canada this, this week. Uh, it's going to accelerate uh, into the summer. Um, and this this moonshot, I think, is you know is is uh, not only surprising, but it shows you know the dedication on the, on the policy side to get uh, life back to to usual. Uh, so so I think the the you know second half will is where we will see the biggest impact. I think right now it's probably having a, a small impact on confidence, uh, but it will be a long winter. Right now we we see measures uh, tightening. Uh, lockdown measures uh, coming into place, uh, not only in Canada, but in most countries as well. Uh, even in Asia, which was largely sheltered for most part earlier this year. Uh, so so it's. I, I think there's little downside risk to that. It's not just one vaccine, it's a number of vaccines that are being rolled out. Uh, 
so the confidence around that uh, I think can be greater. Obviously, some people hesitate, uh, but I think for the most part, we will see plus 50% vaccination uh, sometime this year. And this is kind of the, the key threshold to, to start uh, seeing that normalization happening. Obviously, uh, this will roll into 2022. This is not going to be just a summer and, and fall thing this year, uh, but certainly the momentum for rebuilding uh, life as we knew it, I think this is, this is clearly the, the big part. The, the policy side to me was the most impressive one. And even thinking last year, people asking, you know, what are central banks going to do uh, given that interest rates are so low? And uh, our view was that, you know, they, they're not going to be shy of coming up with, with new ways to surprise the market, new ways to help the market. Uh, and I'd say the biggest surprise has really been on the fiscal side. So we knew interest rates would come down. We knew a bit of QE would be rolled up. Uh, and certainly there was some elements of surprise that uh, even seeing the BOC uh, Bank of Canada purchasing uh, corporate bonds, provincial bonds, really uh, supporting the entire fixed income uh, class. Uh, but on the fiscal side, I think, is, is where Canada stands out uh, uh, almost in a scary way. Uh, we've had the most aggressive fiscal response uh, in the world. No other country has been as aggressively spending as Canada on a GDP basis. Uh, at the federal level, we're looking, at, we, you know, we know from the federal budget update uh, earlier, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that they're going to be facing a nearly $400 billion deficit. You add to that uh, provinces, which we're going to spend uh, at least $100 billion of deficit this year. So all combined, this is about 25% of GDP uh, that is added to, to the debt. Uh, again, no other country, every country is spending, but no country is spending as much as Canada on a GDP basis. Uh, and you add on that, household debt is going up, uh, corporate debt has gone up, uh, uh, so, so the debt is really the, the key, the key thing. Um, and what's interesting is if you think back to the late, late eighties, early nineties, uh, a country that, you know, would spend this aggressively would be punished by the bond market. The uh, yields would go up, the currency would, uh, would sell up. And this is not the same thing. Why? Because BOC is absorbing, uh, a lot of that, uh, debt issuance that is coming to the market. So I don't think it's because they are really eager to, you know, to build up a balance sheet. Uh, I, I think this is because they think this is the, the path of least resistance to getting growth back on track. Uh, I do think we are maybe spending a little bit too much in Canada uh, and the path to uh, balancing the budget, I don't think they, they, they showed uh, you know, quite a clear path on that. Um, certainly, the you know, spending is, is a key thing, spending on other things well beyond COVID-related items because there's certainly uh, there was a need for to run a large deficit this year uh, but clearly, when, when we look at the measures that are, have been announced, and even you know, every week we get new measures uh, costing billions, uh, this is well beyond the scope of, of COVID-related uh, measures, uh, you know, green effort, all kind of efforts to reshape the economy. So, so some part of that is you know, obviously isn't you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's you know, if you wonder why the recession doesn't feel so bad right now, uh, it's certainly because. You know, economic activity has been on live support. You know, with 25% of economic activity on borrowed dime, uh, it's not a surprise that the, the recession doesn't feel so bad. Uh, obviously, if you run a restaurant, you know, this is a catastrophe this year. But for the most part, at the top level of the economy, uh, things are, aren't so bad. Uh, but this is not sustainable. And this is where, you know, you, you need the private sector uh, to come in. Uh, and obviously, some of these measures are there to make sure that firms, as, you know, are able to bridge their way uh, to the post-COVID world where the vaccine has, you know, eradicated the, the, the pandemic. 
but again, I, I'm not sure the policy choice is, is the best. But this every other country is spending, uh, and hopefully we, we see some normalization. Uh, having more people back to the labor market will help on the income side of the government's balance sheet, uh, and that in itself should stabilize the, the deficit. But certainly if we keep on spending on additional measures, then it's going to be a bit more challenging. So when you look at the past decade, it's really been, uh, you know, the Fed and central banks, uh, you know, ECB, Bank of Japan, purchasing assets, building up large balance sheets. Uh, and this has created, you know, asset price inflation. So people are saying, oh, equities don't look cheap. I, I, I would struggle to find a cheap asset, uh, even if I look hard. Uh, bonds certainly don't look cheap when global yields, uh, we reach, as of this week, we reach a, a, a record level of $18 trillion in uh, negative yielding debt. Uh, this is the, the record eye. Uh, I don't think bonds are cheap. I don't think there's any asset that's cheap. Uh, but relatively speaking, you need to put capital to work and equities are, are still the, the top place to do so. But when you look at the past decade, it's really even fixed income at a great time because of uh, QE and in, uh, interest rates coming down. Uh, but I do think if you think of the next decade, the 2020s, uh, we'll look a bit different. I still think there's going to be a lot of uh, central bank intervention, but I don't think there's the same kind of upside or our performance of a uh, benchmark fixed income, if you think of our FTSE TMX in Canada, uh, to outperform certain key uh, asset classes, uh, even such as, as housing. So I think a fixed income will lag a little bit, uh, but the idea that the asset prices will remain uh, strongly bid across the board, all kinds of real assets uh, will be in high, high demand scarcity uh, and supported by diet that, that you know, Fed put idea uh, to the market. Uh, and in this world of debt, I think interest rate, and I'll talk about that later, uh, but the idea that interest rates could normalize, I think this is one where as much as we expect normalization in 2021, I think interest rates uh, is, is in a world of its own where uh, central banks will, are forced, uh, if you want, to keep interest rates lower. So again, next decade for me is equities are best, you know, best place to be, all kinds of real assets. Uh, that include gold, yeah, that includes uh, real estate. Obviously, commercial real estate could have a, a shaky next couple of years, uh, but the type of action that we've seen from central banks, I think uh, we can remap what we've experienced in the past decade, uh, where intervention is the, uh, is the name of the game, asset purchasing is the name of the game, broadening of asset purchases, uh, all of that to support the, the cycle, um, and even the second, the second order kind of impact of these things is obviously uh, uh, more elevated asset prices. When we speak of normalization, obviously restaurants will eventually reopen uh, across the board. We will get back on planes. We will get back uh, to beach vacation uh, within a matter of a few quarters. I think this is going to take place. Uh, but interest rates, like I said, I don't think there's the scope for normalization. What will it mean? Uh, we know in Canada, Bank of Canada peaked its uh, policy rate at 1.75% in the last cycle, where unemployment rate uh, went to record record low. Uh, I do think what you see to me is this idea that central banks are trying to extend the cycle by lowering interest rates, and that's to get people to spend, but to spend on borrowed money. And that means accumulation of debt. And so when you look at the past couple of decades, uh, interest rates have been trending lower, and the counterpart of that has been rising debt loads. Uh, so we know debt loads by households in Canada has reached uh, record high uh, into this year, uh, but this is not unique to Canada. Pretty much every country has had the same kind of pattern. What is kind of unique to Canada is that first, we didn't uh, feel the pain from the great financial crisis of 08, where 
uh, U.S. household did deleverage. In Canada, it was kind of a small hit, but then we got back to business. But for for the most part, you know, it's 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 global debt has been skyrocketing, uh, and that for central banks is tricky. So as much as they try to fight the cycle near term with lower interest rates, uh, adding on more debt creates more sensitivity to interest rates, and that really prevents them from hiking interest rates uh, further down the road. Uh, so this idea of you know lower for longer interest rates. Uh, is, is with us. Hopefully, they are able to normalize interest rates into you know, 2023, maybe 2024, uh, even earlier if uh, you know, the econo economic activity was to normalize much quicker than most expect. Uh, but I don't think the, the scope for normalization is to you know, get back to 2% interest rate policy rates, uh, either by your Fed or by uh, the Bank of Canada. I do think this marginal uh, increase that we see in debt right now is going to be an additional headwind to normalization. So, because keep in mind, debt is just trying to support current activity against future activity. This is this is a trade-off that we face, and that trade-off is not new, but it just creates more uh, inertia for future policy movement. So, a lot of people look at the market, especially the uh, U.S. stocks, and you know they, they look at it and they say, "Well, it looks expensive, more expensive than uh, European markets, Japanese markets, or even Canadian markets." Uh, but this is not new. And the main reason has been really the, the tech advantage within the U.S. market. Uh, and so I, I would strongly suggest to be careful when, you know, judging U.S. market, you know, on a relative basis and thinking, you know, shying away from them because they look expensive. Uh, it's really the, 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 the overweight, the massive overweight of the tech sector that it has. And what I find interesting is really the ability of, of you know, with, it's been a growth scarce uh, past decade. Uh, we did rebound from the great financial crisis, but growth has been on average about 100 basis points lower uh, in the 2010s than it was in the 2000s, in the, in the decade coming out of the uh, 1990s. Uh, so the growth scarcity argument is, is nothing new. Uh, I don't think, you know, even though we're speaking about a strong rebound this year and into 2022, uh, I don't think we've solved the growth scarcity problem. It's mostly related to aging population, for instance. Uh, the world is converging. We're not going to be like Japan, but we're certainly converging to a little bit more looking like Japan with an older population, and that ultimately means uh, slower growth. This is true even for China or, or India, but just on a, on a lag basis. Um, so the ability you know, of, of, of growing top line is really by eating away market share. Uh, and so when you think of the old economy transition to the new economy, this is, this is the, the, the playbook that we've seen in the past decade. Uh, you see some business struggling with falling sales. So as much as a company like Tesla certainly doesn't look cheap and looks pretty expensive, uh, you have to recognize that that sales at all companies like GM, uh, Fiat, you know, on, at the top line level, on the unit level, the sales have been falling for the past few years and they're probably going to accelerate. Um, so there is a, a top line challenge and an earnings challenge, challenge by older companies. Uh, and investors like the, the, the resilience of, of the tech earnings is something we've seen this year. Uh, when the small cap space was seeing earnings contraction close to 50% at the worst of the of the summer, uh, tech were down just a, a few percentage points, and they're already back into positive year-over-year -year territory. Um, and so that speaks to me to the quality argument. I think a lot of people like to be invested in good firms. Uh, so the quality factor, much more to me than the growth factor, is really the main attraction coming from, from, that, uh, from that space, the tech space. Uh, and I don't think this is going to... You know, dissipate. So obviously, if we have a, a full-blown reflation trade taking place this year, uh, you could see you know the most beaten sectors come back continue, or continue to outperform. They've had a good run in the last uh, past couple of weeks, couple of months. 
but I do think to get the sustained outperformance is going to be tricky. It's going to need some old fashioned type of reflation play and that usually rhymes with infrastructure spending. Infrastructure spending, we've heard a lot about that in the past couple of years, a lot in Canada, uh, but we haven't seen a lot of money being spent there. Uh, we know the Biden administration has big ambitions on, on infrastructure spending, but this is not really being debated. Um, so that train could be a multi-year train. So I think we have to be careful catching these reflation trade. Uh, I think to be attractive, they have to be sustainable and you need these traditional old fashioned uh, triggers. And to me, the infrastructure spending could be, could be the one trigger. Uh, but for now, we, we continue like the US, uh, the, the growth leadership, certainly when you look at the you know, five-year growth, uh, economic growth, it's, it certainly maps well to earnings growth across countries. So even though these, these firms are strong global champions, uh, they, 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 they remain very resilient across the business cycle. And that, I think, remains quite appealing for, for investors. So I think it's about balancing out the short-term uh, scope for a bit of reflation that is certainly taking place on the back of vaccine hopes. Uh, but to get uh, uh, an area like Europe, for instance, to really grow, lead on the growth front, I think uh, we're not going to see that. Just look at Europe right now. The biggest debate is around the Brexit. I think this is a big waste of time in terms of where your policymakers should put their energy. They should put their energy on the structural reforms that are necessary to get productivity and growth back on track. Instead of that, they're debating a policy that is you know, about dismantling the, uh, the, uh, the trade zone that they had with the UK. So to conclude, uh, when we look at our positioning, uh, we increased recently our equity uh, overweight. Uh, we are about the midpoint where we, you know, in terms of aggressiveness. So this is pretty confident. This is looking at uh, not only the vaccine, obviously the vaccine is going to play out in 2021. Uh, but like I said, the policy side remains uh, dedicated. These whatever it takes policies uh, are not sustainable, but they, they can go for a long time. Uh, and I think ultimately they, are, they, they remain a massive tailwind for, for equities, uh, certainly versus bonds. I think the best days of fixed income, uh, they remain a good edge, a good diversifier for uh, balanced solutions. Uh, but certainly when I think about you know, 12 to 24 months type of expected return we, we, we can expect from, from equities uh, and bonds, equities certainly look attractive. We know earnings, the, the worst is behind us uh, with growth, uh, global growth, U.S. growth. Uh, you know, rebounding this year, I think this is going to be, we will see pretty strong uh, earnings growth. Uh, but what's important, it's, I think, is how we roll into 2022, because 2021, I think, is well understood. Uh, but I think there's going to be some, 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 some second order uh, growth impulse. Uh, just look at what's happening on the, the fiscal side in terms of in Canada, trying to spend and, and reshape the economy. I think we're going to see that elsewhere. The Biden administration will provide that. Certainly, uh, Germany also, which was a bit shy to spend, uh, is going to uh, that way as well. Um, and so, so the, certainly, I think this the getting a bit more growth into 2022, not the kind of growth that we have this year because it's a pure mechanical rebound, uh, but things look good on the policy side to make sure that we do get some strong growth. But the other area that we like is EM. EM, we liked it uh, pretty much the entire 2020, uh, just looking at how well China handled the, the virus situation, their economy rebounded quite strongly, and now they're basically supplying the world uh, to that consumption binge that we've seen. Uh, so they are in a good shape. They're not out of the woods. We see them struggling still with the virus, but overall, uh, their economic activity and the way they can uh, eat up some market share has been quite interesting. Uh, so, And it's also a good mix of uh, a bit of tech and a bit of old-fashioned reflation uh, 
uh, that they could benefit. Uh, so it's an interesting area, and we we remain on the way to across EFI, mostly a real European view uh, of lagging economic performance that translate into uh, lagging uh, uh, earnings performance. Uh, on the loony side, is one area that, uh, if you ask me, you know, am I surprised by the, uh, the strength of the loony this year? Certainly. Uh, one year ago, if you had said, you know, oil prices will be mid 40s, where should the, the loony be? Well, closer to 70 rather than 80. Uh, but this is not so much speaking about the strength of the loony or the strength of Canada relative to other countries. It's really a story of depreciating US dollar, very broad depreciation. So when you compare against other currencies, whether it's a British pound or, or the euro currency, uh, there's no advantage for, from the loony. So it's really a broad. Um, uh, depreciation of the U.S. dollar that is taking place. Uh, it's, a, it's a story that speaks about the reflation, the global reflation taking place. Uh, this is not a story about, you know, the U.S. losing its reserve currency status, even though you hear a lot about that. I don't think any, any, anyone is looking at Europe as the, the safe haven. Uh, the U.S. will remain that. And certainly when we see risk off coming in, we see US, demand for U.S. dollar. Uh, so we think there's going to be a bit more of that, but there's certainly some limit to where the loony, how high the loony can fly uh, this year. And so we, we, we don't think it has a lot of room to, to appreciate. So with that, I will be happy to take some questions uh, from the audience. Uh, thank you, Fred. Uh, the first question is, hi, Fred. Thanks for hosting the presentation today. Can you please provide your thoughts on the future of cryptocurrency? I think crypto is a mixed bag of, uh, of, of people who believe in a bunch of things, but also there's another interesting story. It's more the, the confidence of central banks, the confidence of monetary policy. Uh, and it's hard to disentangle these things, uh, but certainly I have some sympathy when you look at how much spending that we are seeing. Uh, ultimately, I think people are losing confidence. I think the, 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 the old fashioned currency debasing that we're probably most likely to see is a bit of inflation. So not not seeing inflation go from 2% to 10% or 20% like we saw in the 70s and 80s, uh, but just a bit more inflation. Certainly, when you look at the fiscal policy mix, usually that rhymes with a bit more inflation. I do think you know, COVID is deflationary. There's a, you know, still about 10 million people unemployed in the US, lots of unemployment elsewhere. Uh, so that part is clearly deflationary. There's a lack of demand. Uh, but the, I think the crypto space is, is kind of a mixed bag. And um, is it going to be a more legitimate asset class in the next decade? Perhaps you see institutional interest, uh, but I, I do think it's still a risky. Just look at the counterparty uh, risk involved around that. I, I think you know it's it's still a massive gambling bet, a casino bet uh, that for us is is far from from attractive. I think gold, if you want to diversify and play the confidence about central banks, confidence about fiscal policy, gold is probably uh, to us still the most interesting place to to play that. All right, Bo asks, in respect to low interest rates and uh, fixed income uh, going forward, do you see any possibility of changes in rates prior to 2023 as discussed earlier? I think the base case for most people is 2023 that you start to see the window. Uh, and that's usually a condition of unemployment rate. I would say that's the most important variable to keep an eye on to understand where future policy will be. Uh, so if it was to move earlier, it's just simply because the unemployment rate is coming back in the U.S. We would need to see sub 5% unemployment rate. We were about 3.7% uh, earlier this year. That's a pre-COVID level. Uh, and I think also what's important to keep in mind is how, let's say, you look at the Fed, how they change their tone about inflation. 
uh, I think now they recognize they've been chasing inflation for the past decade, they, they underperformed on the inflation mandate. Uh, and so I think the threat of inflation is, is not what it used to be. Uh, and there's, there's this idea that they're going to try to let the economy run a little bit up uh, and to get unemployment rate faster. So I think to see a bit of a overshoot on the inflation front uh, will be something that, that's a bit different than the past decade where they, they were kind of pre preemptively uh, tightening policy to limit inflationary pressure. I think now they're going to test those pressures a bit more. Uh, so I think there's going to be an interesting fact. So that ultimately that delays uh, policy normalization, both on the QE and on the interest rates front. All right, and we have a, que a final question. Um, are sovereign nations expected to inflate their way out of debt? How would this affect the markets and how will this uh, affect the long-term outlook? When you think about the playbook of how to solve a debt situation, you have a couple options. One is to uh, punish people hiking interest rates and normalize uh, things. That's the old playbook. This is the old, uh, what I call the orthodox book. Uh, this is the, uh, we've tried that. It's, it's always creating a bigger mess. Uh, policymakers prefer the path of least resistance and that's inflation. Uh, inflation is again, that old fashioned currency basing. It goes back to the Roman empire days of uh, diluting the amount of, uh, of metal you have in a coin. It's a stealth tax. Ultimately, you know, you're losing purchasing power, uh, but it doesn't hurt. It's uh, it's much more pleasant to to face a bit a bit of inflation than to see uh, a deduction line in your uh, paycheck. Uh, so I do think this is a preferred way. But again, we're not going to get. I think you know we're we're looking at maybe getting two and a half to three percent inflation uh, for 18 to 24 months. Uh, this is pretty benign. This is again not the 70s and 80s. Uh, I think the 70s and 80s, and 80s inflation dynamic was was one. It was we relied on oil much more uh, importantly than now. It was you know a bigger share of the economy. We we needed oil, uh, but also population growth, aging. The, the aging dynamic was pretty powerful. Wage inflation was pretty phenomenal as as, as baby boomers were moving up the uh, hierarchy of the job structure. Uh, and this is not taking place. They're leaving the job market. So that's a massive deflationary backdrop. Uh, but I do. I would welcome two and a half, three percent inflation in this uh, debt in environment uh, because ultimately you stabilize your debt ratios in, in a smoother way uh, than trying to just uh, teach people a lesson about how to run their finances. We have one final question that just came in here. It's: Can you please comment on the effect of the Biden administration, the, the effect the Biden administration will have on ESG sector versus commodities? Well, they've been pretty clear, and this is where even if the if we have a split government, they can act uh, against uh, traditional uh, energy. Uh, under Trump, it was a drill, baby drill policy, kind of unwinding the Obama uh, era. Uh, and I think we're going to go back closer to an Obama era. And certainly for for non-traditional, all the green the green projects, I think they will get a tailwind uh, from that. It's going to be tougher for your traditional fossil oil uh, play. Uh, ultimately, that could be slightly positive for Canada because that means less competition south of the border. Uh, and we know U.S. refineries, they will need oil and uh, Canadian could be there to supply uh, that, that market. Uh, but again, the, these trends are longer term trends. The ESG train has been around for a while. It is capturing uh, a lot of attention. The, the, the speed uh, of you know, deploying capital toward a green project, green bond space, uh, the momentum there is quite clear, and especially COVID, I think, is giving a lot more legitimacy. Just think about what's happening in Canada uh, about spending on green infrastructure. Uh, so I do think it's going to be common, not only in the U.S., Canada, but Europe and elsewhere. Uh, we'll see uh, great trends there.
thanks everyone and uh, have a safe and happy uh, new year and best wishes for 2021. Thank you to Fred Demers for joining us on the Global Market Views podcast. Though we're out of time on this first episode, you can read more about Fred's 2021 outlook in a six-page report called The Great Normalization. And for a wealth of additional pieces that can be leveraged in your client conversations, contact your regional BMO GAM wholesaler team. As we sign off, thanks to all of you for listening in. We wish you a healthy and prosperous 2021. See you next year. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if applicable, all may be associated with investments in mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. Please read the fund facts, ETF facts, or prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.